Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Bryn, and tonight is a little bit chilly out, but it almost feels like a fall night to me where I'm literally in cozy sweats, cozy socks, some Halloween slippers, and a nice big flannel, and it feels so good, even though I do not want to bypass summer, believe me. I love a good fall night, and that's exactly what it feels like. So just wanted to share that with you guys with how cozy I feel sitting here recording for you. It's already super late and that is because I got to meet my best friend's brand new baby tonight and I spent a lot of the night there and then came home to record. So I'm going to try to get through this episode as smoothly as possible, hopefully with minimal editing without my tongue ties and such because I'm exhausted but it was so nice to meet the little sweet pea. And congrats, Ash. He is beautiful. Into the reviews or recommendations, I am pleasantly surprised. I've been having a lot of show recommendations thrown my way lately. I haven't had the chance to jump into any of them yet, but as soon as I do, I will make sure to give recommendations and or reviews, not that my opinion matters on those, but throw them out there to you all for some nice new shows to watch if you need a new binge. And lately I have been watching the same old shit, but I am excited to say that the new season of Cruel Summer has come out on Hulu and it's kind of week by week still because it's playing live on freeform kelsey and i had mentioned this show cruel summer in the past when we watched season one and we were completely obsessed it has not only a 90s aesthetic but the whole premise of it is amazing and my mom and i started it we only got like 10 minutes in and got interrupted the other day but so far it seems so good and it seems exactly like last season's vibe except it's a brand new storyline going on and I cannot wait to get into this one because I have a feeling I'm going to love it like I did with the last season. Podcast wise I am back in a kick. This is what happens to me. I get into little kicks of listening to podcasts and then I binge them and then I remember that there's other ones out there that I was listening to and I have to go back and then I get in a kick with that one. So currently I am backtracking and binging the episodes that I've put off for the past probably three months of True Crime Obsessed and for those of you who have not listened to True Crime Obsessed, I'm pretty sure I've recommended this podcast in the past. I'm obsessed with the hosts of this podcast. They watch shows and talk about the shows and review the shows. And some of them have to do with true crime. Some of them have to do with really weird stuff. Like this last one that I listened to was about a documentary that was done on Barney and fueled hatred behind Barney for whatever reason. But Jillian Pensavalli and Patrick Hines are two of the funniest people to listen to. And I hope I get to meet them one day because their energy is just freaking amazing. And I appreciate them getting me through my work day. So that is who I'm currently listening to. Give them a listen if you haven't already. And I'm sure many of you already listened to that podcast because it's just so good. With that, do not be like me and forget about Crime Colts and Coffee for months on end. And then I start to wonder, oh my god, why is my listener count dropping so much? I'll be very sad and I'll think something's wrong. And meanwhile, you're just 
pulling a brin and forgetting about things and then binging them three months later. Please don't do that to me. Now, into the coffee recipe. Apologies, apologies. I know I tricked you all last week and you probably thought, oh my gosh, she's back at it with the coffee reviews, with drinking actual coffee. Well, that was a lucky week and as mentioned, tonight I'm recording late. It's not that I can't drink coffee tonight. I probably would be in the mood But right now it is 10 o'clock at night and I'm just in the intro, so there's no way I'm having caffeine this late. So into a coffee recipe I go. This week I am going to be giving you a peanut butter latte and they make it hot, but I'm sure you can make this a cold latte as well. It says the total time to make this is nine minutes and you make one latte and it's vegetarian friendly. It's on the website thelittlestcrumb.com, which I will include. The good thing about this is you can choose one, two, or three scale of the ingredients, and I'm pretty sure if you click on it, yep, I just clicked on it. If you click on it, it will change the amount you need to add if you want to make one cup, two cups, or three cups of this. For one latte, you're going to need three quarters of a cup of milk, two tablespoons of peanut butter, actual peanut butter, one tablespoon of granulated sugar, and one shot of espresso. It says add the milk, peanut butter, and sugar to a small saucepan, heat on medium-high heat, stirring to dissolve the peanut butter, and then you're continuing until the milk is almost boiling. Said it should take about five minutes. You're removing the saucepan from the stove, and you're using a frother to froth the milk and peanut butter mixture. It says there should be a small layer of foam on the top. And that was my elbow if everyone just heard it crack. Using a spoon to hold back the top foam layer, pour the milk over the shot of espresso. Pour or scoop the foam layer on top and enjoy. And then there's all different tips and tricks and things to change if you want to make it chocolate peanut butter mocha instead. Or if you want to use a different milk alternative, it says oat milk will make it even creamier. One thing with this recipe is it does specifically say to avoid organic peanut butter because it might not mix as evenly and it won't really be the same type of taste. So they do want you to use regular peanut butter for this recipe. Just like a hazelnut coffee, anyone who knows me knows I love a good peanut butter coffee. That's probably top up there for me with a hazelnut. And actually, in the future, once I have Kelsey come on to guest host an episode, because yes, that is going to happen at some point, we have something planned that involves peanut butter. So stay tuned for that. Enough of the chit chat and into today's episode. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. In today's episode, I will be discussing the case of the Klaus family. A little bit of background, there was Harold Dean Klaus Jr. He went by his middle name Dean, so throughout this episode, I will be referring to him as Dean. He was born June 7th, 1959 and was 21 at the time of this story. His mom's name was Donna, and he also had siblings, a brother named Chris, and three sisters named Debbie, Cheryl, and Tess. Next, there was Tina Gail Lynn, and her married name was Klaus. 
She was born September 21st, 1963, and was 17 at the time of this story. She also had siblings, a sister named Sherry, and a brother named Les. In 1978, the couple met, and they had both been living in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Fun fact, Dean's sister was dating Tina's brother when they met. Their relationship was described as a quote-unquote whirlwind romance. June 25, 1979, Dean and Tina got married at Volusia County Courthouse, and January 24, 1980, they had a baby girl that they named Holly Marie. Summer 1980, the new little family moved to Louisville, Texas. They had moved in hopes of Dean finding a job during a construction boom in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He was a skilled cabinet maker and ended up getting a job with D.R. Horton, which is a home building and home construction company. Dean, Tina, and baby Holly Marie had lived with Dean's cousin during this time while they saved up to buy their own home. And just a little side note I wanted to point out from a bunch of articles that I had read about this family Everyone mentioned how amazing of parents that these two people, Dean and Tina, were to baby Holly Marie, how much they loved her and doted on her, and how Dean actually completely seemed to change and just fall head over heels once Holly was born. They just did everything they could for this little girl. So I just wanted to point that out because that just speaks volumes about the kind of people they were and how much their little family meant to them, and that this moving was really for the best of their family. Speaking of moving, moving on to late October 1980, this is when the Klaus family disappeared. Family stopped hearing from them, and they had last been seen in Louisville, Texas, where they had moved to. Months passed with no word, and sometime in 1981, they were reported missing. This was reported by Dean's mom, Donna. Strangely, at some point, the Klaus family's car had been brought back to Florida, and I'll get into details of how the car was returned later on in this episode. This fact contributed to the police believing that the family had chosen to leave and had chosen to cut contact off with their family. Due to this theory, minimal effort was done by law enforcement to investigate the disappearance of Tina, Dean, and Holly Marie. Even with the lack of help from police, the family still tried to do what they could to find the Klauses. Tina's family even tried reporting them missing to the Salvation Army. Unfortunately, quote, Nothing on the Klauses from the Salvation Army's database entered federal databases of missing people. And that was a quote from Wiki. Around three months later, January 12, 1981, two heavily decomposed bodies were found near Wallaceville Road in Harris County, Texas. This was around 250 miles from where the Klaus family lived in Texas. The area where the bodies were found was described as wooded, swampy, boggy, and underdeveloped. The bodies had been found because search parties had looked throughout the area after a dog had brought an arm back to its owner from the woods. That is terrifying. The two bodies were found in close proximity to each other. 
Both were thought to have died around the same time, anywhere from between a week to two months. It was determined to be a homicide. There was one male and one female. The male was partially skeletonized, but a facial reconstruction was drawn for both of them since their faces were still recognizable. A pair of gym shorts and a bloody towel were also found at the scene. Their causes of death were determined. The female had been strangled, and the male was bound, gagged, and beaten to death. The deceased were estimated to be teenagers or young adults, and I had also read in multiple articles that they believed that the female had died first, and the male possibly died after, after trying to defend the female, but again, this was all speculation. The murders were investigated, but nothing came to light, even with the facial reconstructions. The male and female were therefore deemed the Harris County Does and were both buried in the Harris County Cemetery. 30 years later, in July 2011, the Harris County Does were among multiple unidentified murder victims to be exhumed in Harris County. This was funded by the National Institute of Justice, and DNA was taken and put into databases. Years later, genealogical research for the Harris County Does continued to be funded. Audio Chuck actually helped to fund this research, and for those who don't know, which I'm sure everyone knows who Audio Chuck is, probably that's listening, Audio Chuck is the podcast production and media company behind many true crime podcasts, including Crime Junkie, The Deck, Anatomy of Murder, Counterclock, and Park Predators, all of which have been mentioned on this podcast before because I listened to all of them, and among many others, those are just some of the podcasts that Audio Chuck is the media company behind. So props to Audio Chuck. That is amazing that you helped to fund this genealogical research. Late 2020, Identifiers International, which is a California-based genetic genealogy organization, took over the research for the Harris County Does. Forensic genealogists Misty Gillis and Allison Peacock used GEDmatch, and Gillis was working on the man's genetics while Peacock traced the woman's genetics. Gillis eventually found distant relatives, connected the John Doe to a family with the surname Klaus. She was then able to further narrow it down to a close match, and Peacock was able to get in touch with Dean Klaus's sister, Debbie, and from there, she was able to relay information to them about Dean and his disappearance. Ten days after Gillis and Peacock had started their genetic investigation, Harris County John Doe was identified as Dean Klaus Jr. Not long after, the Harris County Jane Doe was able to be identified as Tina Lynn Klaus. And I have the chills just saying that because that is so incredibly amazing I always get the chills talking about DNA and genealogy and all this technology that has come with this. It's just absolutely incredible. And as always, I can go on and on and on about it. 
I am mind blown and mind blown that these women within 10 days after starting their investigation were able to find who these people were and find relatives and DNA connections to people within their family. That's just beyond incredible. So, because of this, on January 12th, 2021, the Texas Attorney General's Cold Case Unit publicly identified the Harris County Does as Dean and Tina Klaus. This date was to the day, the 40th anniversary of when their bodies had been found. Once identified, Dean and Tina's families went to the locations of where their bodies had been found and where they were buried. The families had Dean and Tina buried together. Dean and Tina had been identified after 40 years, but the question still remained of what happened to little Holly Marie. Once Dean and Tina had been identified and it became known that they had a missing child, another focus became Holly Marie. No child had been found with Dean and Tina's bodies, and when eventually looked into, there were no baby does that would have matched Holly Marie. And this is a quote from Wiki, quote, It is reported that when Peacock delivered news of the findings to the Klaus family, Debbie Brooks, which is Dean's sister, asked if the investigators had found the baby, to which Peacock responded, What baby? Thus, the search began for Holly Marie, who was referred to by many as quote-unquote Baby Holly. Peacock and her organization, Family History Detectives, investigated where she could be and started the Hope for Holly DNA project. The Klaus family also took part, and some even submitted their DNA to genealogy websites. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children also created an age progression image of baby Holly. There were some initial theories that came along with what could have happened to Holly or where she had been or what happened to the family in general. So one theory regarding Holly was that Holly Marie had been eaten or carried away by animals, which is why she wouldn't have been found near her parents. Another was that investigators had just not found her at the scene. A third was that whoever murdered Dean and Tina took Holly Marie and either killed her elsewhere or kept her as their own. And a final theory regarding the family in general was that they had disappeared with a religious group or some kind of cult. According to some resources, allegedly at some point before he married Tina, Dean had disappeared with a cult for a couple of weeks. Oddly, in 1981, the family also had a strange interaction after they had stopped hearing from Dean, Tina, and Holly Murray. Months after their disappearance, there was mention of, quote, interaction with a cult member who called herself Sister Susan. Apparently, she had called family members, identified herself as this, and said she had their car and information about the missing family. She said she would exchange the car for money, and one article said $1,000 in 1981 currency. 
As mentioned earlier, the car was brought back to Daytona, Florida, and reportedly the family was told that Dean and Tina joined a religious group and wanted no contact. In this car were three women who were questioned by police, but not charged, and there was no further elaboration on this. So, I don't know much more than that in regards to the story they shared with the family, the story they shared with the police, what they were questioned about, how they were ruled out, anything like that, sadly, because I feel like they definitely, like, how did they have possession of that car and quote-unquote know what happened to the family and now this family turned out dead? Like, how, how were they ruled out? On to June 7th, 2022, which was ironically Dean's birthday, Holly Marie was found. DNA testing had linked her to living family, and she was 42 years old and living in Oklahoma, so baby Holly was alive and living her best life. She had no idea about her past or the fact that she had been a missing person for all of those years. Apparently, it was discovered that not long after Dean and Tina were thought to have been murdered, Holly Marie had been left at a church in Arizona. Two women had dropped her off, and they were described as being barefoot and in white robes. They had said that they were part of a nomadic religious group, and First Assistant Attorney General of Texas Brent Webster said this of the group. Quote, they indicated the beliefs of their religion included the separation of male and female members, practicing vegetarian habits, and not using or wearing leather goods. The women indicated they had given up a baby before at a laundromat, Webster says. According to Webster, there were sightings of the group in Yuma, Arizona, and he said the group was known to travel around Arizona, California, and possibly Texas. And that was a quote from People.com. The church then found a family to adopt Holly Marie, and both the church and the adoptive family had said that they had no knowledge of how Holly Marie had ended up with the nomadic group before being brought to the church. The adoptive family has never been considered a suspect. Just wanted to make that known. Little has been released about Holly's personal life, What is known is that she had been married for 20 years, had five children, and is a grandmother. So a little bit of aftermath. Holly Marie initially met her biological family over Zoom. November 2022, Holly Marie reunited in person with members of her biological family, which is absolutely amazing. The Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus Memorial Fund has since been set up, and the goal of this fund is to, quote, help other families find lost loved ones through genetic genealogy. No arrests have ever been made for the murders of Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus, and the investigation into their case is ongoing. If you have any information regarding the murders of Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus, please contact the Texas Attorney General's Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit at coldcaseunit at oag.texas.gov 
or you can specifically contact Sergeant Rachel Cadding at coldcaseunit at oag.texas.gov or at 512-936-0742. And as usual, all that information will be provided in this week's show notes as well as on the Facebook page. This case was such a bittersweet one to research, to know, and to tell because I feel like obviously the lives of Dean and Tina were lost and that is so beyond tragic and awful and it shouldn't have happened. But the fact that they were identified after 40 years and their family was able to have closure with where they were and to have a proper burial for them is beautiful in such a tragic way. But amazing that they were found and then on top of that for holly marie to have been found and living and alive and well and has her own little life going and now she gets to start this new incredible life with her family that she didn't even know she had i'm just so happy for them that even with all the tragedy involved, they were able to gain some new light through it. And it's making me tear up just thinking about it. But just such a bittersweet case to cover. And I didn't really know much about this one. I had heard bits and pieces just through actually audio check and knowing that they helped fund this. But I didn't know the case as a whole. So I'm so glad that I learned the story of the Klaus family and I hope that some of you have also learned their story and if you already knew their story that it was refreshed in your memory because as always these people mattered and matter and just telling their story is the smallest bit. Listening to their story is the smallest bit we can do to continue their legacy. With that being said, I don't really have much more to say for this week's episode And I think I shall get into the spiel because I'm exhausted. I haven't even eaten dinner yet. And yeah, my eyes need to shut at this point. So into the spiel we go. You can find Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram. That's where I post pictures of coffee reviewed, episodes, past and present. You can look in the highlights that will show you, as mentioned, coffee reviews, episodes, as well as any important information regarding the podcast, merch, really cool listener shares, etc. The link tree is in the bio that has most of the listening platforms that we're on. On Facebook at Crime Colts and Coffee is where I put any resources, photos, links, calls to action, and as mentioned, Any calls to action can also be found in the episode show notes for that week. If you have a listener story or case suggestion, you can email me at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at crimecoltsandcoffee. I greatly appreciate any listener stories, any case suggestions. My case suggestion list keeps getting longer and longer and longer which I so appreciate and I am slowly but surely trying to get to everyone's that have sent them in. Listener stories though, slack lacking. 
please send them my way. Love reading them. I've had so much feedback with people loving listening to them. So do that. Do it. Don't hold back. Write it in. And last but not least, if you love the podcast, like the podcast, whatever, just want some free stickies, leave a rate and review. If your listening platform allows you to do so, this includes Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure what other ones are slowly adding them in, but maybe there's a few others in there. You can leave a rate and review and that will help the podcast to be seen. You can also spread the word to family and friends. Word of mouth is always a good thing too. But if you do not have this option on any listening platform of your choice, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. And aside from that, please, again, if you have any information regarding the Klaus family, regarding the murders of Dean and Tina, contact information look at that contact information send in what you know and relay this story to someone else maybe someone who would have been around during that time to see if they know anything because any little bit matters and also submit that dna to those ancestry things to those genealogy things it's important and obviously it's fucking working And until next week, bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook